Welcome back to Tracking Our History, a feature of the United States Marine Corps Vietnam Tankers Association. This is episode 31 and features Ben Cole. Ben served a tour from 1966 to 1968. He served in Alpha Company and as it turns out Ben left in December of 1960, uh, of January of 1968 and I got there in June. So let's get into the podcast with Ben right now. And a good day to you, Ben, and welcome to Tracking Our History. So let's begin with, uh, you're joining the Marine Corps. How'd that come about? And can you explain a little bit about that, please? Sure. Thanks for having me. Yes, I joined in uh, the spring of 19, well, actually, I joined in the spring of 65 with a, a Marine unit in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and I went on, I went to boot camp to immediately after high school, which was in June of 1965. And I left there, uh, a major boot camp. I actually got a PFC out of there. I was a high shooter on the, on the rifle range, and I made PFC out of boot camp and uh, decided I'd stay in for a three-year tour. They, uh, uh, I'd been in the reserve, like I say, and I said, well, I think I'm going to go ahead and try it a little bit longer. And I signed over with that. If they put me in tanks and let me have a med cruise, I would uh, I'd sign over, and, uh, and they did. So I left on a med cruise uh, with 2nd Battalion, 2nd uh, Tank Battalion out of Camp Lejeune in, in November of 66 and uh, on the LS, LSD-13, the case of grapes, the Casagrande. We headed out across the Atlantic and immediately hit a storm and I learned all about being seasick. <laughs> and we, they went back to Norfolk and they flopped us back on another LSD. Apparently we sustained some kind of damage on the... Uh, uh, case of grapes, huh? the Casa Grande, huh? and they put us on the San Marcos number 25, and we went across. And I, it, it was a, it was quite a passage. Well, we had waves as tall as uh, trees. And anyway, after about two weeks of uh, just, just, just of, uh, being sick, I got over it. You know, didn't have much choice. And then we went to, uh, then we went over and uh, played uh, war games. Uh, for about six months, and I uh, got to get to visit a lot of countries over there, and, and uh, we made up. They landed in Sardinia and Turkey, and uh, 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 the uh, uh, I think it was uh, Crete also. And, uh, then then back to Lejeune about July, and uh, and I knew where I was going then, so I said, "Go ahead and tell me where I'm going." I'm, that's where I'm going. So I knew I was going to Vietnam, so. I went ahead and I, uh, yeah, we, I, they shipped me out to uh, basically Pendleton, mm-hmm. where we did the uh, the uh, I guess a, the jungle training for about a, about a month, and then we got on. Then I got on the USS General L ten, so MSTS, with I guess about two thousand other Marines. Wow. I'm not sure exactly how many there were, there were but it was a uh, it was it was a lot of us in those cattle cars going from Pendleton over to the San Diego Dollar. And, uh, and I had to. I was down the fourth floor, yeah. and that was. And I met Terry Hunter there, and uh, a couple other. I think Guy Wiffenberger was on there. Mm-hmm. But but we uh, we all uh, we uh, it was the one you got the channel line, and you when you got your in, you got back in the channel line. It was just nothing. Just all you could do was just 
standing alone. There was no room on the deck. You just kind of had card, floating card games going around, and it was it was a, you know it, the Pacific's a lot better than the Atlantic. It's not mm-hmm. as quite it's not as quite as rough. Yeah. But anyway, we got in Okinawa. I think on uh, on, on Christmas Eve and Eve, and uh, then we made it down to the Nang and offloaded. To, this is the last day of December. When all the guys got off, the, all, all the tankers got off and they were assigned their billet, I got sent. I, I, I was held back. I didn't understand more, but I found out I was going to be shipped to 4th Battalion, 12th Marines, oh. which is an art, 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 artillery unit. Yeah. And, uh, and so they, uh, and I protested, said, it's got to be a got to be a mistake. No, no, the Marine Corps didn't make any mistakes. You know <laughs> so they shipped us, shipped us out but late, later that day <clears throat> to Fubai. And uh, we we, uh, we landed late late in the afternoon at Fubai Airport. It was dark by the time we got in our truck to take us out to the. We didn't know where we were. Yeah. And and I thought this all be this all be a big mistake. They'll find that there and they'll send me back to the uh, with the tank with tankers again. Anyway, we got uh, they, they drove us out to where the artillery was. It was dark, and they put us in these in these tents. We couldn't see anything. They know where we were. And we were, as soon as we got a tent, we settled in the, 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 the cots. So it was muddy as hell. It was just, it was, I never forget that. It was about knee deep. Well, it wasn't that bad, but it's pretty, pretty muddy. And we settled in. And about that time, the god office racket you ever heard. It was, a, you know, it sounded like the world was over. It sounded like we were being bombarded. You know, and everybody, you know, you know, then hit the deck because you know because it was high explosives going off, and the guys that had been there before looked at us. They said, yeah, that was just a fire mission. We were right. We were right behind the 155 house in the past. They had a fire mission. Nobody told us where we were. <laughs> they said, "Welcome to Vietnam." Yeah. Yeah, we're getting off our off out of the bird. Yeah. Anyway, they, I say with uh, I, I was a I guess I was a lance corporal when I got there, or right after. I was a last call corner, and uh, I got. And I found, and, I, and of course, the next morning I asked the. Uh, I wanted to see the first sergeant while while I was there, and I explained to him that you know I was supposed to be there. And then again, he explained to me the Marine Corps doesn't make any mistakes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Not. You know, they had what had happened. They, they, were, they, were, they were moving. They, they needed more artillery units so, yeah. so they could have a, more of a more range of coverage. And they saw in my record that I had I had been in the the Alabama National Guard, my junior year in high school, was a, you know, was a, you can make a little money and you, know, you can go to summer camp and sound like a cool thing to do. So I did some, did a summer camp and uh, never did go to boot camp, never did go to, to basic training, but I was a drill with them and learned a little bit about being on a howitzer, howitzer crew, one five five toad. So that's what they put. That's they picked that up apparently and decided that used me to fill out these uh this new first provisional. Battery, which was a four, I think four one five five towed howitzer, wow. and so I was I was uh, with the one battalion twelfth marine first provisional battery, it flew by, and and we uh we did we uh, when they we filled the crew out and we got trained and and uh, and I knew a little bit about it. I I had been a county there before. I I, I could handle it. You know, I knew how to uh, you know uh, as a crewman, you know. Mm-hmm. shells and you know and uh, pick the things up and move them around it's not the, the toes means that they they aren't self propelled they got these two big tracks that split 
and you have to when you, you tow it into a position, then the crew gets out and they lift the gun up and spread the spread the, uh, the arms back and right. and then dig it in. And so, right. but we were dug in there a gun pit there. One day we had a one day we had a fire mission. Let me ask you this: One day we had a fire mission, and uh, it was rainy and wet, and uh, you know we we had taken and put a uh, hundred pound shell in there with a super quick fuse and. Two guys, we rammed it up in there. You ram it in there, then you put your powder charge in it. My job was to put the powder charge, hold it, hold up the breech one hand, and put this in, shout the charge five, right back, or some whatever charge it is, slam it, he closes the breech, and then he, the gunner sits there with a cartridge, and and, and, and and he pulls the lanyard and fires it. Boom. Well, it worked all morning, but this one particular time, he fired, he pulled a lanyard, it didn't go off. Oh, it oh. didn't go off. In peacetime, they wait the 15 minutes, and then they, uh, then they ease out. They they take the powder out. Mm-hmm. In wartime, they give you about a minute. <laughs> so anyway, waited a minute. He opens the breach up, and they immediately we pull out the powder. And it, what happened? Powder, powder. You probably got wet. Oh. But that morning, I think it had a little scorch. You know, we didn't know what it was. We pulled it out, and I think it had a little, little, little scorch part of Okay, that's cool. Well, now we got a super quick fuse on a 94-pound uh, howitzer shell stuck in a barrel. That doesn't just come out jammed up in there so the, 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 the range will seat. So the powder guy is also the one guy that they will use to punch the shell out. So, say, so I think, yeah, I was a Lance Corporal that time, and I was, I was a designated rammer staff driver. Oh. Everybody else, I get a long rammer staff, and they've got a special cone that goes on the front of the, the, the um, uh, that'll, that'll go against the uh, fuse itself so as not to jar it too much, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's a super quick fuse. And so everybody else gets in the bunker, and I'm out there. They lower the muzzle, and we have one, have two guys sitting there. Hopefully it'll come out. <laughs> and I'm sitting out there, and I, and I just take it back and bump it. It doesn't go anywhere. Yep. And everybody looking, peeping over the fire, you know, the, the, the bunker, uh, the, the ditches and everything. In case it goes off, boom, and you go again. So I said, one time real hard. I said, I hit it the third time, boom, and it moved a little bit. I did it again, it slid on back. And then I went over, I think I went to the, uh, um, I had to, you know, anyway, I had a, I made a head call right quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, they, the, the shell came out, and you know, and uh, and they so, but I never forget that. I, I never forget that. But anyway, I, I, uh, I was, we moved about, we moved out food by, and uh, they took one of the camp Evans, and one battery stayed up there, and one battery went to a little place called PK Seventeen. They split the battery up, and the, and the PK Seventeen was a little French outpost. That was there during the Indochina War with the, uh, um, uh, you know, when the French were there, and this was a right. this was a, a little a fortification they had that was the backside of an Arvin outpost, mm-hmm. and we had two uh, two howitzers there and about thirty Marines, oh, yeah. and 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 we were we pulled our own patrols, did our own ambush, did our own listening post. April fifth, the. Uh, Local Viet Cong chapter decided they wanted the base. And so they mm-hmm. came through the wall about, you know, about midnight and 
three bunker, three uh, charges in bunkers, and uh, kill two marines. Gee. Uh, and uh, and uh, I'm not making one marine and one corpsman. And but they were the yeah, we uh, they they were they were we got artillery from we had artillery coming in from my other battery up on uh, on the hill mm-hmm. um, up at Camp Evans and and uh, and, and by dawn they were they 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 were they had um. Yeah, it was no more. They they were uh, the attackers had been taken care of, mm. and so uh, and we uh, rebuilt the rebuilt the place, rebuilt the bunker, and uh, got ready because the word was going to get this place in April. Yeah. Well, they they moored us the next night, and then uh, the next night they moved in the um, um, moved in the the Arvin Black Cat Division, which was a uh, regiment of a. Uh, Arvin, you know, Army of Republic of Vietnam, so it was a pretty good unit, apparently, right. to, to kind of shore us up there. And they came in there with uh, some AM, some P, APC armor personnel carriers. Right, right. Well, I've been pulling, I've been pulling listening posts uh, a couple of times. That means you go outside the wire with a radio and a rifle, and you sit there, and if you hear anything, you, you, uh, you know, they, you know, you click on your set. They, they check with you about every half an hour, or quarter, uh, twenty-five. About every 15 or 20 minutes, and ask you if everything's good and so mm-hmm. forth. And you sit there, and if everything's good, you give them two flicks. If not, you don't, you know, you just be quiet or whatever. But, well, everything's cool. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any problems. I didn't have any problems. And I, so, but next night, the, one, one of those nights, mm-hmm. a buddy of mine was out there during all this stuff was happening. And uh, the, the, he, he'd gone out right at the dark, and, and, and they started mortaring about 11 o'clock. And they were they walked the mortars right into us out there, Jeez. and then the uh, and the army guys saw him out there, and they started firing at him, hmm. and I was on the end bunker, and they were just right up, they were about thirty yards away, and so they just kept firing at him, and so I jumped down, went across, jumped over there, ran over there to him, trying to get him to stop and shooting at our guy, and that was a little shove. They they were they had a army, uh, army uh, uh, dream beret, and a special advisor. And, mm-hmm. And they wouldn't listen to me. I did a little shoving match or whatever. Somebody wound up on the ground and somebody wound up threatened. But they quit shooting. Yeah. They quit shooting. And and uh, I think it all. And so that was the main thing. And, yeah. and, no, and nothing else was said about it, which is good. Yeah. But anyway, that was about, see, that, that, was a, that, was a, that was quite an exciting night. The, we did, I don't think we had, a, we had a couple of guys got hit that night. But did, did nothing like the first night. Yeah. Anyway, about that time, I guess the Marine Corps needed some tankers, and so I've been pushing them, asking when I could get back in the tanks. And then they brought me. Then I got the word one day uh, that the Marines were needed tankers. I was supposed to report to. Uh, I made corporal by then, and I was mm-hmm. supposed to report to to um, uh, Fubai, oh, where the Third right. Tank Battalion, HNS Company, was, right. and I reported there, and that was pretty good. Dude, I went on R and R and. Uh, I think that from there, and uh, it was pretty good duty. I went to, well, no, I didn't go in R. I went to in, uh, 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 Okinawa to NCO school. Oh, right. I always like R and R. You know, it's a mm-hmm. it's a great place full of liberty. We went up there and played in the northern training area for about a week. Stuff that we learned at Pendleton all together. Mm-hmm. We learned that earlier. And then, uh, and, uh, and I came back and, and uh, you know, 
and and we pulled we pulled we, we uh, basically at, um, we just pulled guard duty and maintenance and whatever and we took the tanks on the top of the hill every night. Mm-hmm. It was good duty at good duty at the um, um, you know uh, I, I had a I had a interesting article I had an interesting yeah. thing happen there. I had a um, while I was back there I was uh, I was told I had to uh, chase a prisoner from the Denang jail to. Uh, back, bring back up the Fubai after, uh, you know, uh, I had to go down and chase a prisoner from the main jail and bring it back, bring it back to Fubai. So yeah. I caught a, I caught a plane down there and then I got to the, the Denang and I got a, and I showed the, um, the guy to go up the, um, I showed them my orders and they got cheap. They took me out the main gate there at, at uh, in Denang. So we had to get a guy called Convoy to go out, well, you had, had to go out in Indian country to go to the bridge. Right. But we made it out there okay. And uh, so anyway, I got there. And apparently this was a black Marine that had been uh, charged for uh, firing his, discharging a firearm and just kind of raising hell one night inside the perimeter. And mm. and I went to pick him up and he was and they were having, they were having a trial for him. And so I went there and um, had him, gave him my orders and I said, and then, and, um, the guy told me to wait, and I waited, and I waited. He came back out and said, we're having trouble with the guy. He won't put his pants on. He's now praying to Allah, and mm-hmm. and uh, he won't cooperate. I said, well, get him. I get put his put what you can on him, and, and put him in put him in cuffs. And I've, I've got to go. I've, I've got to orders to get him back. Yeah. So finally, brought him out. They, he had they, they managed to get the utilities on him, and uh, so we got in the jeep and go back to the, the terminal there in the Nang to catch a plane to. Back up to Fubai. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sitting there. To, you check in. You know, I've got, you know, I've got a 45. And I've got my orders. And I've got the prisoner. And I've got to check in the line there. I've got to check in to get a flight to Fubai. Well, I, you know, this guy had been kind of he was he was hard to deal with. You know, you almost had to drag him around to get him to do anything. Yeah. And so you know, um, see, um, so he. Um, uh, I finally, I finally got. I, I said, "Stay right here. Let me go get. Let me go um, get the. You know, stand right here. I don't want to. You know, I. You know, I don't want to have to. You know, use any. You know, I don't. Want, you got cuffs on. I don't want to have to um, have any problem with it. So I already got my orders. And while I'm getting, get, getting my, get my approval for the um, flight, or getting my on the on the list. He starts talking to some other black Marines, and they, you could down to tell he was trying to stir something. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I rush over there and he kind of push these guys away, and he kind of gave me a funny look. And, and luckily, a couple of officers there, and they kind of helped me deal with the situation. So, yeah. I'm, this guy will not move. This guy will. He said, "I'm not going. I'm not going." So I just kind of I grab him, got pick him up, and the plane has landed out on tarmac. Though, you know, luckily, and I'm starting. Going across it, I'm trying to carry it. I'm carry it, you know, and he, he doesn't want to go. I said, "Well, if I have to carry you, if I have to pick you up and carry you all the way out that plane, I hope I don't trip and fall, and you fall. If you, you, I don't want to trip and fall, and you hit the ground, you know, on your head. Yeah. So maybe it helped me here a little bit. So we managed to get out to the plane, mm-hmm. and there's a, uh, and then he had a clamp short doors in the back with the uh, the last. From what I understand, the last. Flying uh, enlisted man in the Marine Corps. He was mm-hmm. a master gunnery sergeant. Mm-hmm. And I then I come up there with the president and he says, he asked me, what do you got? There? I said, well, I got a precious, I got to take this guy, this uh, guy, the 
Fubafu a trial. He said, well, take those cuffs off of me. When you get him up here, if he gives you any trouble, just throw him out the damn door. <laughs> and I said, you know, and I never have seen a guy get up. If you start cooperating so much, he <laughs> crawled up there and he got him in the corners real quiet. <laughs> never had a minute's problem with him. <laughs> So anyway, I landed at Dubai and and, uh, and took him in, and I, I I don't ever know what became of him, but uh, they got him back, and and uh, I was kind of glad to, to to get him there and be done with that. Yeah. Well, a few weeks later, I got a, uh, I got um, my order stuff, uh, third tanks, yeah. and I and I um, went up to third tanks, and uh, at Dong Ha, and before yep. uh, then, that was about the first of September. And uh, they, uh, they immediately pr- promoted me to sergeant and gave me a tank. And yeah. I hadn't been on a tank in a year. Yeah. But, but anyway, okay. Um, the, uh, they immediately put me out. They, they uh, sent me, a, me and my tank crew. We uh, went out to uh, uh, it was, uh, Donald Barrett, uh, Ter- Turner, and, uh, uh, and uh, Pat Brown. I think it's Pat Brown. Mm-hmm. And we headed out to uh, uh, Charlie Two, which was an outpost uh, mm-hmm. between uh, uh, north of Camlo, uh, yeah. south of uh, Contient, yeah. on yeah. the on the trace of the sort of the the, yeah. the, 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 the right of way you might want to call it to yeah. the Contient. Yep. Yeah. And that was an, and I was out there. I was out there with the Lieutenant Gill. I was. I was not. He, it was his tank. I was just a, you know, I guess the tank commander. But I know, I, but I spent about four days in the back of that tank under poncho with, with Lieutenant Gill. So we got to know each other real good. Yeah. And and it's funny after this happened, I never saw the guy again. I mean, I was over there for another five, four, five months. I don't ever know what I don't know what ever happened. He's a nice guy. Yeah. But but that was when they had the uh, typhoon Opal that hit the uh, hit the country in September. I think it's September eighth or whatever. And dropped all that rain that washed out the washout. Right. And, and, and Lieutenant Cohen uh, was there, and I accompanied him up to the one one attempt to try to get those tanks that Captain uh, Jacobson tried to get across the uh, washout and lost a couple. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, I never forget they had a. I'm sitting there. I was, we were dug in there at Charlie Two. We'd go out on operation and come back there, and, and that's kind of like our base of operation for a while. Mm-hmm. But we'd go out in operation. I, we don't, I know. I remember when 26 Marines came in there, and I was sitting there, and this captain, this major, walks up to me, and I'm sitting on a tank. I, I had to, my, my tank was in the, uh, the southern position, on the on the uh, on the east side of the gate. There's another tank on the on the other side of the the uh, main road, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's where we dug in. And we put a little bunker beside there, and and the behind field in front of us. And and when that, this major drove up one morning, we he said, uh, um, uh, you know, we got an operation going on here. So I want you to be in my reserve. We don't know what's going on, whatever. He just gave me a radio and said, "This is the freight train. You're you're you know, come. If we call for you, we want you to come out as quick as you can." So I, I was sticking right there, right at that point, those sections. I think I had another pipe over there. I don't know what the other two tanks were, but I think it was me and another tank were supposed to yeah, monitor him. Anyway, I'm sitting there, and we're waiting, and just kind of waiting to stand by. I, it's, it's, it's Captain Jake's coming by. 
and he's a blonde-headed guy. He's a, you know, he's a pretty aggressive guy. And, mm-hmm. uh, he comes over and says, oh, get your tank. You know, this is after the major's gone, and he's out there out in the field in operation. No, no, this is, this is the major hasn't left yet. Um, yeah, he has a left yet. He's going up to the command bunker. And so I'm sitting there, and Jason comes up to me. Get your tank and follow me. I said, well, Captain, Mom, this major wants me to be here, be reserve. I mean, I'm, he said, I don't care. I'm, I'm here. You know, come follow me. Said, yes, sir. Oh, oh, yes, sir. Can't get the tank. Uh, mount up, guys. Let's go. I cranked the tank up, and I got that on the radio. Yeah. I call. Yeah, yeah. Funny how you, you remember a call sign of somebody. We were, I think our company was Local Train Alpha. Uh-huh. Local When you remember that tree? Yeah. We, we were Local Train Alpha. Yeah. But this guy was named Incident Wave Bravo. Incident Wave Bravo. I remember huh. that. And so I got on. The, I got on that. Say, uh, Major, this is uh, this is a. Uh, I think a local train, a local train Alpha Three One. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, captain's coming up. To, he says he wants me to uh, to go with him, so he's coming up there next year, bunker. So you might want to run this past him. So, so I, I, you know, so I'm sitting there and I'm pulling, I'm pulling the tank up toward the bunker, and I see this little major. He was about five, six, five, seven. Come out, this Jacobs was a tall guy, mm-hmm. and I see him jump up there and pull, pull this thing. I don't know what he told Jacobs, I and mean, then they got into a little. You know, I guess they were, you know, going back and forth. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then I went on and Jacobs, and he looked at me a little like, yeah, I'm going to get you. I know what you did. I'm like, well, you know, I'm just trying to say my decision. I'm just trying to do the right thing. I didn't say it anymore. I just, you know. Yeah. And we followed him up there. And I think that, I think at that particular time, that, that might have been the time he lost a couple of tanks up there. But anyway, mm-hmm. I never will forget that. I never local tank. I never would have instant way to Bravo. He would I think we our paths crossed again because we worked with 26 Marines. Yeah, but but most of my most of my stuff is just basically operating. We pull it, we take off, and, you know, go push trees down or you know, patrol. <laughs> yeah. You know, we always push trees down and and then come back and, uh, and then we worked out of the washout at one point at the washout. Yeah, yeah. I was at the washout when they got hit there in October. We were actually think uh, we had pulled out a day before they got hit, and, I, and nobody filled the holes in the Thatcher and that Charles Thatcher. Charles Thatcher was on, on the other section. Uh-huh. Charles Thatcher is the guy who got the Navy Cross at Conti in three or four months before that. He was one hell of a tanker. Yeah. But we were he, we were on the north side of the we were on the north side of the washout. Okay. Uh, uh, two or three days before, two or three days before, they got Second Battalion, Fourth Marines got hit. Okay. And got hit very hard, yeah. and nobody was worth the tanks. They came, uh, they they tried to they tried to punch through the hole, punch through the line south of the south of of, of, the, of, the, of the washout mm-hmm. creek, and uh, Greg Kelly was over his tanks, and they stopped the guys. They stopped them cold. So about half an hour later, they circled back around and they came through where Thatcher's tank was supposed to be, and my tank. Well, we're in, I think it was in a golf company's. And they came through, and they, you know, they had a terrible night. They lost, we lost, I think, 15, 16 Marines there, and three or four brand new lieutenants that had just gotten a t- getting them, gotten in the country a couple uh-huh. of days before that. Yeah. But after that, we we just went back and forth. We had, you know, then uh, I went up to Conti and mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of part of the fall, and that, you know, that's just kind of like you're you're kind of in a, you know, you're, you're 
you're kind of like a bullseye out there. And, yeah. and uh, yeah, we'd pull in there for a while. One of the one of the main main one of the, I, I took a, took a lot of pictures when I was over there. I was lucky. I had a, I had a 35 millimeter camera, and I took it took pictures of everywhere wherever I could. Yeah, took pictures, of, and they had some pretty good ones. I think a magazine had published a few of them. Yeah. But I had one really good picture that uh, of, of what, what we had. To, what we sat there, you know, and every now and then they give us a fire mission, or we'd go out. The big thing they needed us for was raining so hard, it's so so muddy that nobody could move with the tanks because we eventually it was a clay bottom, so we could, it might it might be three foot of mud, but we would eventually sink down to the clay bottom and could move. But then the problem is you got a wave of mud in front of you when you start moving. Yeah. Nobody wanted to drive because we had a slot going in that position. You had to be pulled out of there. The driver's going to get that wave of mud if he just doesn't time it perfectly. So he's going to yeah. go off him. He looks like a Hershey bar. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, I remember one time we went out. We had the, they, we got the we got the duties to go out. What happened was helicopters could not land at Contin because they get shot down. Yeah. So what they would do is they'd come up from behind the hill that fly low and mm-hmm. then they would uh, uh, you know they would they, they were really vulnerable when they hovered trying to get you into the, the pad at the center of content mm-hmm. there's two or three there was two or three wrecks right out there in our position and you know and one day i saw the, the, i guess the big chopper uh, i forgot what, what they called it but it picked up one of those holes and and was hauling it out, and I got a great picture of that because it came right over my bunker. Oh, oh. My bunker was my my bunker constantly was over on the, on the west side of the perimeter, right below. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but it was right over one of the outposts. You know, right. There was a little knoll there, but just north of me, and I'm sitting out. The, you know, we dug in about thirty yards behind it, facing toward Quezon, that particular area. Yeah. And so one day, I never forget, I'm sitting there, you know, on off watch, we had a little bunker beside it, and I see this, I heard this whoosh, and all this dirt flew up in front of me, and I'm like a fool, what was that? And I go out there, and it, and it was a cordless rifle round it, it blew about 10 foot from me, and it was a dud. <laughs> I rise it, till, you know, I went back and analyzed it later. But what happened, and this happened a couple times, what had happened, um, mm-hmm. the, the NVA was shooting at that outpost above us, and they mm-hmm. were high, they were they were high. They would come over and, you know, land near us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we were kind of, you know, we were the backstop for those guys. Yeah. Luckily, nobody ever got hit. Well, I don't know. Bunker Silas, when I pulled in there, I don't know what happened. Bunker Silas yeah. just had a big hole there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, you kind of wanted you pull into a place and you got shell holes everywhere. And the one beside you had been a bunker. Now it's a big shell hole. You wonder what happened there, if anybody was in there or what. But it was a... It was a place I could take for being famous for raining so much. Sometimes I just felt so filthy. I'd go out there and sometimes and take a quick uh, sponge bath. But yeah. I always wondered about what, why that. Uh, and one was there, a photographer, David Duncan, the, the, the uh, guy that wrote the uh, book, uh, War Without Heroes. It's a great black and white uh, picture book, the Vietnam War, War Without Heroes. And I, while I was there, he came by there. I remember seeing his face. He didn't take my picture or anything. Yeah. But I remember see this guy. He's got, you know, a Leica camera, a 30, you know, 30, no, 35. And I know what, a, you know, he's just, he, he was taking pictures. Uh-huh. So some of the pictures he put in his book or, or there was when I was there. But anyway, getting back to the tank at, at the content, you know, whenever you get the call, you know, you don't, nobody wants, nobody wants to, to 
to, to drive the tank down the slot, get the yeah. wall of mud in front of you, stop in the main gate, get a grunt squad on there, yeah. and then go out and retrieve a water trailer that the helicopter put outside back, back down the hill from the down the hill from the camp from the position so that so that he wouldn't be shot down by hovering in and trying to bring it inside the water. Yeah. Because the goods they they know that they're gonna shoot anything comes out of there. Right. So the trick was to get on there, get down there quick, uh, hook it up to water hook it up to the water trail and push it back up hill as quick as you could. Mm-hmm. Well, we went down that particular area. It was so muddy down there. One guy was carrying an M60 machine gun, and we, he got stuck in the mud. I almost had to shimmy out on a gun barrel to pull this kid out. He had M60, he's got all kind of gear on it. He just sunk down about chest deep in the mud. Oh, we got him out. So we blowing, we blowing and going down there to get that water, get that water trailer, and sure enough, mm-hmm. we, to get it locked up. And just about the time we started back, they started dropping off the area around. And luckily, they. They were shooting where we had been, so we went back on up the hill there. Mm-hmm. And unloaded everybody, left the war trail there. But before this happened, I'm, I'm guess I'm missing the main point of this, this story, but let me back up. Mm-hmm. We had a truck driver. Uh, the truck driver from the company would come up sometimes and bring supplies or whatever, whenever they could get a convoy up there. And somehow or another, he wound up there one day, and he was all walking the lines, and he got, he got asked us questions about the truck, with the tank and all this stuff. And he says, Oh, I sure would like to drive a tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to drive one. I said, "Well, they're easy to drive." And about that time, somebody said, "We got to do the. We've got to get the. We've got to get the water buffalo." Yeah. You would like. Yeah. We'll let you drive the tank today if you like it. Yeah. And so, I, so I gave him a quick course on how to drive a tank. Uh-huh. Well, anyway, he got in the tank and he did real good. He did everything. I just tell him where to go whenever. All you got in the tank, all you got to steer it and accelerate it. You know, and um, and um, so anyway. <laughs> He was a, he was a driver that day, and so we got back we got back into the perimeter. And I said, "Now be real careful when you're going back up the hill." It's like to get to our to get to our position. I dug in a defilade position. Mm-hmm. It was a it wasn't a road; it was a muddy slot. Yeah, you know. And so I said, "Now just now you've got to you've got to gauge your speed. You got to have enough speed not to, 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 so you get moving, but you don't want to get too much speed. So this wall, wall of mud will." Yeah. Come up and engulf you. Yeah. You can't see, and you'll get yeah, you. So anyway, he did pretty good, but this wall of mud just kind of you got in a little too big a hurry, and this wall of mud got coming right up, came right over him. <laughs> and he, anybody, but he made it back into the position. Well, me being a photographer, I grabbed my, my camera and I went around and I took a picture of him. Mm-hmm. It's a honing picture, but it's like it's, it's the greatest <laughs> picture I've ever took. <laughs> but anyway, that's kind of what happened, and I and I was. Uh, I was supposed to rotate. I said, "This is like December. It was almost Christmas. Almost Christmas. I was supposed to be out of them 13 months from the day I came back. I was supposed to be heading back a year later. I think they give you a 30-day coming and going period. Yeah. And it's, you know, we get we get rounds every day, and that's getting kind of close to go, close to getting back. You know, it's getting close to my time to rotate. And Sergeant Major Culpepper came up, and I'd been trying to get you know, let them know I'm, I was supposed to go home, guys. You know." And so he finally came up and said, uh, I said, Sergeant Major, can you, he was from Tallahassee, Alabama, which is about 20, minutes, 20 miles from the town I grew up in, Tuskegee, Alabama. Oh, okay. And he that guy's attention. And uh, I said, you know, I'd like to, you know, could you check on that? So he said, yeah, I'll take care of it. About three days later, I got word that uh, my replacement was there and they were going to 
they're not, they get on the next truck out. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I, and I was glad to hear that. I got on that truck that morning, went to Charlie, never forget, went to Charlie too. And the Buffaloes had gotten a minefield the night before. And that was a big excitement. They had the Buffalo, they just, what a Buffalo got in the minefield. There was five or six of them just laying there. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, I got on back down, to, flew up to, uh, you know, they, they, I did all the necessary stuff and flew into, flew into uh, Okinawa. Mm-hmm. In Okinawa, I had my, my, I had uh, some, you, you never take any money up there, but you get a year a little bit. I had all my money going on those 10% savings accounts. Oh, okay. So all I ever had was just some money to, you know, just to buy a beer every now and then if, yeah. you, if you could get one. But I had saved, I saved enough money to buy a 1968 Camaro when I got home. But mm-hmm. Anyways, in Okinawa, I had a, I got a, a wallet with a couple hundred dollar bills, and mm-hmm. and they say don't don't tell somebody in the transit barracks will steal it. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, so I so I, so I, I mean that's where the guys go. They check in Okinawa and they get the flight out. And right. You got a couple, you got a couple of thieves up there. Then, they they warned me about it, but I had my wallet right next to my head. In my, I had it in my pants pocket, right next to my head, in my pants pocket, uh, hanging on the And I was, and I, damn, they didn't steal it right out of there, right next to my head. They stole, uh, stole my cash. Well, anyway, I got some more cash. It wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna hurt my homecoming. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I flew the next day, and we flew into. San Diego, Los Angeles, right. and I stopped to have a stopped to have a beer with a couple of buddies of mine that were with me, and we went upstairs to the lounge, and and I said I wanted a I wanted a beer, and yeah. uh, here I am, a sergeant, you know, medals and all this crap, and, you know, been in combat for you. Mm-hmm. And the waitress says, "Do you have an ID?" No, no. I said, uh, "Yeah." She says, "Oh, you're not old enough to drink. I can't serve you." No. You know, I was 20 years old, right? Yep. I said, I, I, said, you can't, I can't get a drink. I said, well, don't worry about it. I'm, it was no big deal. I'm, yep. I'm going home. I know I can get a drink. Yep. So anyway, I flew out of, uh, flew out of Los Angeles, landed in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. And I, and, I, and I didn't I didn't know. I just I didn't tell anybody I was coming because I didn't know it until the last minute. Yeah. And I caught a Greyhound bus from uh, from uh, 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 from um, Montgomery, and I had a I had a sea bag, and I had a pair of oh, I never had it. You know, a lot of places. I think I said a lot of trouble getting a lot, lot of problems with the, the protesters when they got into Los Angeles. I was lucky; I didn't have anybody that bother me because I didn't stay at the airport long. But I didn't have any mm-hmm. of that happen. We got to Montgomery, and this bus driver saw me, and I he, he gave me a hassle by having my old jungle boots on the outside of the baggage. That I was putting, that I brought a, brought a, brought aboard the bus, and I don't know whether he had an attitude or not, but I took him off, and I didn't worry about. It. I brought, I brought him home with me, yeah. <clears throat> and I got off the bus in Tuskegee, and uh, an old friend of mine, he shared him with me when I was a kid, saw me and picked me up, took me home, and that was a, that was a, that was a great moment. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and uh, then I went back to Azul. Uh, I had a, still had about. Uh, uh, I got still have about uh, nine months to go. Mm-hmm. Went back to the June, and I made me a uh, I made me a uh, a uh, mail sergeant. 
Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So I had you know, a pretty good duty then. It took me about 20 minutes a day to do that. <laughs> and then, of course, the Marine Corps helped me even more assist it, so I didn't even have to do that. I just kind of <laughs> floating around and hard to be sent anywhere. Yeah. Swooped on the weekends. I don't know if you remember what that means. That means it's on the weekends. If you had a car, you'd get off on Friday afternoon and, and, uh, and go home or go as far as the Marine Corps would let you go for mm-hmm. 48 hours. Yeah. To Terry Hunter and I bought an old Buick. We were going to go into the swooping business. You know, you can probably you, know, you can go to uh, Washington or uh, New York or wherever, mm-hmm. and you go over to the base movie theater that, that Friday afternoon, and you get these guys that pay 15, 20 bucks a piece of to go to these places, it'll give you enough money to get there. You can have some, you know, you can have some spending money. Yeah. We bought this old Buick. We're going to do that with, and we bought this thing. I forgot what we did. Three hundred fifty dollars for it together, and uh, and we we got drove out parking lot. Well, they put some gas in it. We got to get got the gas. Looked down, the transmission was blown. We got about we got two miles out of the thing before it was totally useless. (laughs) So we got out. We got out of the swimming business. Real quick. Yeah. But then I got accepted. The Marine Corps said if I could get accepted to a, a, career, a, a college, I could get out early. I, I, I wouldn't have. My tour would have ended in November. That's when, I, that's when I joined up. But they said if I could get accepted to a, a college, I, you know, I could I could get out and go there. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I got my friends at home to help me get accepted. Alexander City Junior College. Mm-hmm. And I took that before the, the, the I took that before the basically uh, took it before the uh, company and they said Marine Corps said no 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 we mean a real college no offense uh, they kind of said junior college so I said well I'll try to get try to get into Auburn and luckily I was able to schedule some classes I, just to get anything to get out I had to take some French courses of course I'm you know you know I, you know I have, I have about as much aptitude of speaking French as, as any as, as anyone you know, uh-huh. you know. but anyway yeah, we have the, the, the instructors, the ladies and instructors. And yeah, one thing about it, a lot of girls in this class, you know, mm-hmm. two guys in the whole class. And, and I think the uh, the ladies uh, took pity on me, and I got my quality points so I could get my GI Bill. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I got out of the Marine Corps and, and uh, went to school and graduated from Auburn in 71. I had a friend of mine who graduated from, we graduated from Howard High School. He didn't get the service. He was, yeah, he, he skipped around and flunked out. And, you know, and then we went to Auburn together, and he'd been he'd been doing this for for six years, and I had to, had the pleasure of graduating fifteen minutes before him, so I went straight through. Yeah. But but anyway, that's kind of that's kind of my uh, that's kind of what happened to me those yeah. years. And cool. Is there anything yet? Anything uh, can else I- you need? Let me ask you a couple of questions, if you don't mind, please. Um, sure. When you were when you were uh, at uh, the washout. And you were talking about that uh, that night that that they got hit so badly. Weren't there a couple of tanks that got clobbered and uh, ended up being there for a while? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, there, there was no retriever down there that got got shot up when they when Jacobson right. tried tried to tried to uh, tried to make that run across there in September. There was the old hull of a retriever. Oh, okay. And okay. and some people might think that might have been shot that night. Matter of fact, they, but it it was already there. Oh, okay. No, okay. no tanks got hit that night. No okay. tanks. No. Uh, well, our two tanks were gone out looking for, 
Ironically, our tanks were out looking for the, uh, uh, to help them take the, to hit the bunkers that 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines had got mauled in. Oh, okay. And they had been pulled back to the washout mm-hmm. uh, to kind of refit. Mm-hmm. They, they came in there, basically, they had 400, they had like 400 actives, and the 3rd, uh, I think 1st Battalion, 3rd Marines had been there, built the bunkers and places, mm-hmm. and a five fighting hole for like 600 guys. And, and then you got 400 guys trying to cover the place now. Yeah. So there were big gaps in the lines, and then they pulled out the two tanks on that side of the, on the, the toilet mine and Thatcher's tank on that side of the bridge mm-hmm. where they came across. Yeah. You know, Greg Kelly and I, great buddies and everything, and mm-hmm. he called me one time and said, I know you were on the other side of the bridge that night. I said, no, we were gone. They pulled us out. Oh, no. I said, no, we weren't there, man. And I pulled this picture out and showed it. Uh-huh. I, 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 was, I took pictures of just about everything. I got a picture of us mm-hmm. pulling out of, of, of the bridge the day we did. And um, nobody on that, that, that was one thing. Why didn't somebody leave two tanks on that side of the bridge? And it might have been a different story. Because mm-hmm. they overran, they, they were they were hand-to-hand in the CP. Oh, they geez. came, they, they, they basically came across right where the tanks were. The uh, the uh, ambush squad was out, and they got hit by the, the NVA hit the ambush squad. Mm-hmm. And and they had some wounded, a couple got hit real bad. And then they shot the signal. So they, they gave the same signal that uh, ambush coming in, mm-hmm. and that's how the NVA got so close. They got that close, and then they could launch RPG and they knocked out a couple of key, key machine gun positions, and then came through. Wow. It was a hell of a, it was a hell of a fight. Yeah, but, yeah. But but but, but uh, yeah, I, I talked to a couple of the guys. You know, Second Battalion, Fourth Marines. When that did that happen? Yeah. Wow. Um, when you uh, when you were up in that neck of the woods, did you did you always operate in uh, Leatherneck Square, or did you go both sides, east and west? Uh, well, mostly all in Leatherneck. Leatherneck Square went all the way to the ocean, right? The hills, and right. Then, uh, then it went as far as the hills, and uh, we were all over that place. Yeah, I mean, and we were we went all the way to the ocean, and then we'd go south toward the Quaviat River. Mm-hmm. I mean, back and forth. I mean, I. Uh, uh, we were back. We spent a lot of time up there. You know, I, yeah. we, I, I didn't get, I didn't get that, uh, any further over than Camp Carroll because we were just we concentrated in that area. Right. Uh, right. You know, did you go just, west of Charlie too? I'm sorry. Did you go west of Charlie too? Out in that neck of the woods where there there was a uh, we always used to get out there and and get the find somebody we always used to find turns out that there was a regimental headquarters or something out in that neck of the woods and uh um, well, yeah one other story i remember about it is that we were at ambush valley we had been out we've been out with 20 i think 26 marines we've been sweeping mm-hmm. with them yeah and we've been looking we were looking for this we were looking for this gun we were looking for this, this gun that was supposed to be popping up behind we went work through, we looked for those guys. We were pushing trees over. You know, you had those little ice paddies and you had these little hillocks that were, that were brush overgrown, mm-hmm. you know. And we were, we were, they were, somebody was determined they were in there. So we took tanks up in there. We almost threw tracks. Mm-hmm. We bent radios. We, you know, we the, the lost radio uh, antennas from vines, but we pushed through that. Yeah. And unless they were down underground, which you very well could have been, 
we didn't we didn't find them. So if we went back to we went back to uh, I think uh, I think uh, the platoon that was up ambushed by the way, Wilson Brown and Gary Young Gary Young was lost there. Uh-huh. His that platoon that platoon relieved us, and we went back to we went back to Don Hotta some retreat repairs and 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 get it refitted. And and uh, and we were back at Don Hall, and you know, and they had hot chow there, right. and showers, mm-hmm. and they had a movie theater. Remember that movie theater they yes. had set up on the bunker? Yep. You know, you had a sheet up, and it was facing toward the DMZ, and you could sit there and watch a movie, and you could see the flares in the distance. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that particular night, we're sitting there watching this movie, and 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 things kind of. You would look out there, and you could see where Charlie Two was. And over to the left of Chalk too, there's a lot of flares. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, it there's the puff the magic dragons out there falling down in that area. And then the word comes down that you know that uh, that, that uh, the uh, Wolf platoon and uh, the uh, I forgot what platoon that was, but uh, Gillis platoon was mm-hmm. uh, was uh, getting they they did not a couple of tanks had been knocked out and they were holding they were trying to hang on until day, daylight. And right. so. We, somebody turned a theater, somebody turned a movie on. We just had to watch it. We're looking, it's like four miles away, three miles away, and we're sitting yeah. there watching all the whole action going on. We're on the hilltop looking. It's like, yeah. you know, real time. Yeah, yeah. But, and the word came down, you know, we're going, we're pulling out first, first, uh, first thing, we're going out, we're going out to relieve the guy. You know, we're sending out, we got your platoon and my mm-hmm. platoon and, and a retriever, and everybody's mm-hmm. going out. Right. So, Next morning we rode through the gates. I was I was, I was leading. I was first tank. Let's get that. We rode through the gates, man. We were gonna get them. Yeah. Went to Camlo, crossed the river, went up to Charlotte, outside Charlotte, two, took a left. <clears throat> we got well, before we got there though. Uh, uh, we had a, a uh, we had stopped at Charlie, stopped at Charlie too, and they were, the reporters already got there. They had a bunch of new reporters and camera uh-huh. crews and everything. Uh-huh. They got word up, so they won't be there. And so we were fixing to head out toward. Head out toward uh, the, the, the ambush site, right. and, I, and it's a reporter crawling in the back of the tank and says, I, "You know, I, I didn't say anything. You, you don't want to go. You don't want to go." So anyway, I look, we head now. They say, "You know, we, we you're not going to be able to get in. There. You're not going to be able to get in here with us." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know, you know, we can go. So we start heading out. He stays on there. One guy. You know, we get out there about. You know, we get a uh, hundred yards out. And they brought artillery and trying to knock us out. We're going in there. I never mm-hmm. forget. They bracketed us. They didn't hit us. They just scared the crap out of us. Yeah. And I turned around. This reporter looked like he was in the, in the Olympics, man. He jumped off that tank, cleared the backside, <laughs> and he was doing. He was breaking a record going back to Charlotte. <laughs> never will forget that. Yeah. And then, then I ran up a Wilder. Wilder got shot up that night. There's a tank sitting out there outside that was we, we, that uh, he was he was waiting to get him back down. They'd already blown they'd already flown Gary out of the to Gary Young out to the hospital ship. Yeah. He didn't make it. Yeah. <clears throat> and then we pulled up the one tank was burned out. So it was hit. Mm-hmm. Was hit. And we pulled up to it, you know, right there at the position and we turned around and putting the cables on it and they started firing again. And so they were getting they were getting close and so we just, you know, you know, we pulled away. We got you know, wanted to get out of that fire. So we pulled pulled the tank away. Right. And I forgot where we went, but but anyway, was that the from what I understand? From what I understand, somebody jumped in that tank and drove it all the way drove, drove all the way back to to Camp Carroll. Oh wow! I don't. Some guy drove that tank. Just a driver himself jumped in that tank. It would run. 
So yeah. we didn't even need to have cables on it, but they told us to hook cables up to it, and then yeah. uh, the artillery pulled us away. Yeah. Were, were you, was that, have you yeah, read, I'm here. Have, you, have you read Ambush Valley? Yes, I have, yeah. Is that, were you cleaning up after that one? Is that what you were doing? That we were the ones that went out there that makes more, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. That's what, I, it sounded like it. I've, I've, that one I, and um, Lima 6. There. I was, we were, we, I was the first one there, and we had about two or three other tanks. And yeah, we went, we went that next morning. We went out. I would, I always give God, I always give God Wolfenberger help because I'd say, man, you go out there and find all the NVA you want, and then you, then you call us to come help you. You owe me a beer. <laughs> and, we, and so and he will usually buy me a beer anyway. But uh, yeah. so that was that was Ambush Valley. We've been we've been crossing that place back and forth, all yeah. those paddies, looking for those guys. Yeah. And but um, that's basically what we did. We just you know you know knock down bushes and mm-hmm. you know you know one thing I I I haven't I I haven't talked about before, but you know there are tigers over there. There are big cats over there. And on two or three occasions, I, we ran as we were sweeping. We ran up some big, some big cats. I know one or two tigers mm-hmm. because you know I you know the, up up on the tank commander's hats, you can see them. They're yeah. fleeting. You don't see them long. Yeah. I saw one one time about twenty yards away. Mm-hmm. This is one we've been running up all day long. Uh-huh. He was he was a he was a Indochina tiger, which is a striping is a little bit different than. The, than the Bengal tiger, uh-huh. not quite as big. The stripes are darker. Okay. And uh, but we ran them up. I know. I, I know. I saw them. I know them mm-hmm. three or four occasions. One time, really close. Yeah. And and, and we had a bunch of we had a, a bunch of Marines who get uh, uh, attacked by tigers. Oh wow! I went back. Yeah. We uh when I I went back over there in uh, two thousand uh, ninety nine. Mm-hmm. On a return visit with the third battalion, third Marines. Okay, I just happened to go with those guys, and mm-hmm. and a guy, and they, one of the guys who was just got attacked by a tiger one night out near Kalu, and we called him Tiger Day because you could mm-hmm. you could see the scar on his arm with this. They were right. in an ambush out about a flick out from Kalu, yeah. and this tiger tiger grabbed him by the arm and was dragging him off. They finally killed a tiger, but. Dave was bitten so badly that they had to uh, uh, emergency medevac to keep him from bleeding it down. Well, and I always tell, you, I always told Dave, you all see if you can't get the phone off a tiger beer, you know, and and, uh, and you could be a great spokesperson for him. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there, but that's something that was out there that, that uh, I don't know if any if anybody saw. I'm sure they did, but I, I saw them on a lot of occasions because we'd run them from one spot, they'd get ahead of us, and then apparently they'd lay down and we'd. Run them up again. Yeah, well, that's no small cat. That's that's uh, that's a big, big animal. Yeah, but we saw some smaller cats too. But this, I remember these big ones were were a pretty good size. Yeah, and actually, actually, if, you, if they actually, when the French were there, they had a tea plantation, there. and they had so many of their workers that were killed by tigers that they had to bring professional hunters in there to. to a, uh, keep the population down. Oh wow! And uh, the, tea, the tea plantation over near Quezon. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, there, there were there were a lot. There, tigers were a, a, a menace. Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. telling how many we killed with all the bombing we had. Yeah, but, but there were some there. Wow. So so you missed uh, you you got out of there just before uh, Tet. 
68. Yes, I did. Yeah, I left. I left the first part of January. I mean, I think I left. I flew out. I, I still I still can't remember the exact day I flew out. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I got there before 10. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But kind of like, you know, up there, it's kind of like Ted all the time. Yes. But, that's, uh, yeah, that's true. But, you know, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was, I wasn't there during Chet. Mm-hmm. I actually went over to Hawaii when I was stationed at uh, at Fubai. You know, uh, you know, I, I'd get, a, you know, I, I would, I flew from, you know, I would, I, we were at PK seventeen that send me, mm-hmm. uh, they'd send me down to Fubai for something. I was kind of like, I became like kind of like the guy Friday, you know, because uh, they'd send me down to Fubai for something. Sometimes I'd stop at my army magazine. I'd, I'd catch a chopper. To Army Magazine, and then going to way sometimes, just kind of by myself. It was a real friendly town, it was a university town. Yeah. And I and I think of myself, I'm, I was in there by myself. You know, there had to be, you know. Oh yeah. There had to be guys there watching. Yeah, I had the M14, yeah. and you know, of course, you know, who knows. Yeah. But, yeah. but I went visiting way a couple of times. Uh, beautiful city, absolutely stunning city. Yeah. Yeah. I I would yeah. I went to way in in 2008. Uh, yeah. When I went back. Yeah. So yeah, and it is. It's a. It's. There's a lot of history there that's really, really fascinating. So they 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 went back and rebuilt a lot of it. Yeah. Yes, they did. Yeah. The I. I in fact, uh, the other day I was watching some of the uh, the uh, activity at Way and in, in during Tet, and and shortly thereafter, and an awful lot of that's all gone now. That uh, it's been it's been restored and and uh, uh, you would mo- for the most part you would not know that that there was a tremendous firefight there. Uh, yeah. So yeah. yeah. Well, okay, uh, Ben. Let's see here. Uh, let's let's see if we can wrap this up. Uh, any final thoughts, if you don't mind? If you got any final thoughts for our listening audience? I'm sorry. What now? Do you have any final thoughts for our listening audience? Um, well, you know, hopefully we won't. Hopefully we won't make the same mistakes there that were made there and other places. But you know, if you look back and what can you say? You know, we were we were yeah. trying to we were trying to help a small country yeah. become you know to allow them to determine their own future. Yep. And unfortunately, you know the, ge- the you know the the geography and the and the uh, uh, and the politics of time just did not let it happen. You know the British had the same situation in, in Malaysia. Yep. But yep. they were able to interdict. They were they didn't have a Ho Chi Minh Trail coming right down their back in yeah. their backyard. Yeah. You know, and, and and of course we had a chance basically right after the Japanese occupation. Ho Chi Minh wanted to they wanted to have the Americans support him. Yeah. Yeah. But we, but that that kind of got that kind of got messed up in a in some intrigue. Yeah. But uh, you know, it was a you know, it was a terrible waste of, of men and and, and and the youth of our country. Yeah. But uh, you know, and you can't you know, and, and there were some decisions, there were some terrible decisions made. But you know, the the young guy, the guys I knew, yeah. you know, thought they were doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, and uh, no question. And, you know, they're the best of motives. Yeah, you know? and we we I you know it's there's a a, a a huge difference between the politics and and the war, and that's one of the reasons why we're doing these podcasts because 
most people don't. Most people understand, or, or I don't know, many people understand the politics. Not many understand the war. And, and you know, this is, yours is a perfect example of, of uh, what the war was about and, and what we really did in the war, you know, without all the glitz and the glamour and whatever else of, of the politics of, of the whole thing. And so, uh, well, you know, I had a, I had, I had a, I went back over there in 99 mm-hmm. and we flew in the thing and then we flew, actually we, then we did a tour up through where we were during the war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and then we went to Hanoi. Right. And Hanoi, I mean, it, it is completely, it was, it's a complete, it was a completely different country. It's changed since then. We actually, I went with Tigar, which international, uh, not Tigar, in military historical tours, mm-hmm. yeah, and 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 they they did a they did a great job uh, with us on that, and and they had a, uh, and and we and the people is a more subdued atmosphere mm-hmm. in Hanoi, right? yeah. and it's, you can you can tell it's more regimented, but they still have shops, mm-hmm. you know, they still have capitalism going there. They had, you know, you could buy stuff on the streets, you know, yeah. street vendors. Of course, the street vendors would follow your bus around and trying to sell you souvenirs that you're going to the Anoma Hilton from your hotel. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, then they had Ho Chi Minh's tomb. We, yeah. we got in the, the Ho Chi Minh. They really did a good job on, on uh, bombing him. Mm-hmm. You know, the the Russians apparently have the, they are experts at bombing or dictators yeah yeah I guess but, so. <laughs> but he was but he looked like it you know and, and there was a long line to the tomb and of course right. i guess we had priority and um and went in and, and uh got the head of line and and he, he was laying there just and it's just he looked like he's up he could uh, look over at you and smile yeah it's so lifelike yeah but they have but they still have the camp wasn't going on that might have been one of the key things that we you know the uh, the Vietnamese are industrious people. They aren't going to be yoked. They're not going to become the yoke of a, a communist system like the Soviets. They'll have their own version of it. They'll yeah. be they'll be a government that tells them what they do. Yeah. But I don't. But I think we're finding now that China is a good example that they 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 will they will use some, most of the tenets of capitalism to get their purpose across for socialism. Yeah. But, but it was an interesting tour. I went over there with uh, 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 at the, uh, uh, Colonel John Ripley, who was uh, one that he was a Navy. He was, he was a commanding officer of the Third Marines. He was a Navy Cross winner in the Battle of uh, in the 1975 or 73. Uh, 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 I forgot the name of the battle uh, where the North Vietnamese overran the North and they were coming down to the Long Hall Bridge. He blew, the, he crawled up under the bridge and blew the bridge up. Yes. So they couldn't cross. He blunted the. Yes. The black. Yeah. Yeah. And he was our, he was our, he was our, our guide, and it was, it was great to spend time with the guy. Yeah. Yeah. That you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, uh, when I was back there, I went through. Uh, well, she means the the mausoleum and in in it, the big long lines and all of that sort of thing, and uh, what I discovered was you're not supposed to talk in, when you're in that line. <laughs> I had a I had a guard come up and explain to me in real straight terms, you know, shh, 
do not talk. And I thought, hey, well, since he had the rifle and I didn't, I thought that would probably yeah. be a good idea. So Yeah, well, you know, while I was over there, the, 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 the out in the park around the place, mm -hmm. the kids came up to you and mm -hmm. wanted to talk to you. They wanted to practice their English with you. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to talk English. And how are you doing? Very basic stuff, but they were—they really the one to develop their English skills. Yeah. yeah. One thing I remember from that tour also was that they had—they had. They had I mean, do you remember going? I mean, with that no Vietnam paid a toll. We we lost. They lost so many more people than we did. Yeah. yeah. The they had that museum there where they had drag. They had dragged all the pieces of American equipment that from the B fifty two. Tails to bombs to uh -huh. jets to artillery, the tanks and stuff that the, the show off that the, mm -hmm. the Americans show off their equipment. Yeah, and and they, and, and I they had it's it's like an old school house. It's pretty it's pretty basic, but they had one room in there. I don't know if you saw this room. It was a ten by ten room, concrete black white with pictures on the wall of women, black and white, mm -hmm. eight by ten pictures of these women. Mm -hmm. And they had four walls, about three or four walls. It must have been 50 pictures. Mm -hmm. And all these were women who lost children in the Vietnamese War, the French-American and the War. Yeah. And to be in that room, you had, to, you had to have lost at least three children. Wow. And there were some people and some women in there had lost eight and ten children to the war. Wow. Dramatic. Yeah. I yeah. mean, it was uh, they they lost that many that many uh, the children and family members. I think it was just children. Yeah, and it was one woman in there that lost twelve of her kids to the war. Gee, now not just the American war, but the French war also. Right, right, yeah. And then it was just a start room, and it's, they had this. Now I don't know how much propaganda was played, but I mean, it was, right. to me, it looked pretty authentic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, one of the things that I noticed was there that. Uh, uh, when at least when when I was there, I saw was that people our age didn't exist there. No, they weren't any like us. No, they 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 were older than us, they were younger than us, but there was a whole swath of a generation that just didn't exist any longer in that in that country. There weren't any, but there were very few that were our age. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that was yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was, it was something. To, yeah, to see that, and, you yeah. know. Yeah, there, there, yeah, they, 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 there was a toll that they paid that was very, very heavy. Uh, yeah, it was, it was. Yeah. Oh, and did you know this was an interesting fact I just discovered in the last few years that when, when they collectivized the the South. Uh, uh, Vietnam ended up being a, a rice importing country, and when they turned it back into what they, you know, I think they they refer to it as free enterprise. They you know they don't use the c word, um, but but it's free enterprise. And when when they allowed the the rice farmers to uh, uh, keep some some of their crop and essentially turned it into a free enterprise system, uh, suddenly they became they became the second or third largest exporter of rice in the world. So Yeah, yeah. They're industrious. They're industrious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, you know, basically what they did, what they did over there, basically they have a dry rice field. Yeah. 
okay, mm-hmm. and they and they and they plant seedlings. They plant seeds. Mm-hmm. They plant the rice, mm-hmm. and then when they get up to be when they get to be sprouts, that's when they put them in the water. They put them in the paddy. Right. Okay. Well, I went back over there, and I went to my position at Conti Inn. You can oh. you, the only reason you can recognize is the old French bunker. They got a concrete French yes. bunker. Yes. Yes. Right. Forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I could I, and I could find my position. And I went over there in my old tank position where that bunker was, where the oil post was, where these, and it was a dry, the guy had made a dry rice paddy out of it. It was probably a quarter of an acre, uh-huh. but but over in the corner in the pile, there were piles of munitions, unexploded mortar rounds, unexploded artillery rounds, unexploded grenades, just wow. piled up over there in the corner. Wow. The problem they have over there is all this unexploded ordnance. Yeah. The kids pick up these cluster bombs. These cluster bombs are, oh. are maiming the kids over there. Yeah. They 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 they, um, they have a they have a, a, a Scandinavian. I think it's a Scandinavian piece piece uh, a, a mind deep uh, a mind deactivization or mm-hmm. a mind finding clearing organization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that I said that that stays over there trying to find these unexploded ordnance. Yeah. And also they have a hospital over there that uh, may also help these kids who lose legs and limbs to mines to get, to get prosthesis. Well, but those cluster bombs are the worst because you, you drop those things and some of them are armed, some of them aren't. Yeah. A lot of them don't go off and they're kind of, they're just they're perfect about the size of a baseball or round enough just for a kid to pick up. And they're still mm-hmm. losing kids over there. And every now and then a forest farmer will find a 500 pound bomb with his with this plow, you know, oh, yeah. but right there, but right there in my position, all this stuff has been picked up. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just ordnance. All this ordnance was just laying over the car where they, they were doing their rice paddy. They just picked them up. Apparently Jeez. it didn't go off and they were using it to, to plant the rice. Yeah. They were using that to space to, to increase their production. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's, um, it's an interesting country. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting indeed. Okay. Well, I've had I've had business I've had business relations with a number of the people that had escaped the country. Oh, you and did. They yeah. all yeah, yeah, I've had, you know I have a, I have a, a, a near one of several friends that have escaped the country and have done well in this country. And they now they all the kids they 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 came came over here with nothing. They mm-hmm. uh, just, just started a trade. This particular one is a machinist. He has a he started a machine shop and. They've done real well. He's, he's got one of his kids Ivy League school, and both of them have been educated. And he goes back over there every year. Oh. His mother, he lives on Saigon, and he helped her be bought. He, he paid his brother. He built his brother to build his mother a house over a store, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, and he keeps keeps he keeps he keeps his family going. Uh, and uh, he's a great guy and uh, good 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 honest businessman. Produces a great. Uh, a, Products and is just embraced the American dream. His wife is a real estate agent. They live in Swanee, Georgia. They they uh, uh, they live in the Vietnamese community in Swanee, Georgia, and, and they are they are first rate Americans. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's it, that makes they give they gives you a good feeling when you feel like you 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 know you are part of a, a dream that uh, to help to help people uh, uh, yeah. reach up reach their potential. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's that, that's really true. Did you notice any difference? Just, I'm just curious now. Did you notice any difference between, or did you get down to Saigon the second time you were around? I, I didn't understand that. What did when you when you went back in '99? That was '99, right? Right. Did did you go through Saigon first? No, I didn't. I never have been to Saigon. Oh, okay, okay. Because the thing I want you to, I went I went to Denang. Oh, okay. And, okay. and Denang was about bustling and and. Uh, the major difference I saw was uh, over there. The major difference I got, and this is like 20 years ago. So I mean, I'm sure it's booming even more now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I noticed that the uh, the first time I went over there, the South Vietnamese got around mostly on motorbikes. Yeah. And the North Vietnamese got around on bicycles. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it's when during the war. Yeah. Now, now going back over there, the South Vietnamese get around going around in cars. Yeah, and North Vietnamese are going around with motorcycles. Yeah, so both yeah. both have stepped up a notch. Yeah, did you did you ever step off a curb? The first, or let me let me I'm sorry, let me rephrase. Curb. What'd you think? With the with I'm the sorry. I'm sorry. When I, I'm I'm being a little cryptic. One of the things that I had some uh, reluctance to do was when I first got there was to step off a curb because. There were so many motorbikes. Oh my God! Yes, it's unbelievable. <laughs> I, I'm I'm surprised that more people are killed. I went when I went over there. When I went over there in 2000, when I was 99, I had a guide when I and he had a he had a 125 motorcycle. Uh huh. And he the last day over there, I you know I, you know he came by to bring his family. We well, brought four members of his family on that motorcycle. Oh my! He's sitting on the side of thing. His wife is sitting behind him, and there was a baby behind her, uh -huh. and another kid on, on the panel bars. Gee whiz. A 125. And, uh -huh. and the rule is, you can't, the that's the biggest motorcycle you can have. Yeah. yeah. The police have 175. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was, it, it, what, what I discovered was, and what I was told was, if you, if you step off the curb, and you walk across the street, they will miss you. And they did. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just keep walking. Yeah. Don't yeah. try to dodge them. Just just keep yeah. walking. They will. Don't do anything unexpected. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's right. You just go walk because they'll they'll avoid you. Yep. If you start trying to dodge them, you'll cause an accident. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. if you if you freeze in the middle of the place, <laughs> you get into trouble. So yeah. Be productive. Just be just be predictable. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Well, ben, I imagine you. I imagine you'd be a you know, tall American. I imagine they probably put, watch you a little closer. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Ben, thank you very much for for your time and for your stories. That you know, I, I am I am really blessed to be able to do this because I learn something from virtually everybody I talk with, and and it's it's such an of of fascinating story and I am you know we we talk about this all the time we talk about how everybody's got their stories and and you know what everybody does and no two stories are alike and it is I I hope that our listening audience enjoys these because you don't hear two two of the same stories you know you get something different all the time and you get you get the the real what I consider to be the real deal well, you get a real different perspective, which adds, adds, a, adds more to the, to the, you know, to history. When you got different perspectives from mm -hmm. people from, 
on the same event that just kind of fills it out. You know? yeah. Yeah. I was lucky enough. I was lucky, lucky enough to meet some uh, World War II survivors. You know, I, I, uh, that uh, and they just, it, you know, uh, George Gay and Pepe Boynton. You well, know, oh, you Robin, met? Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, and Chuck Yeager. Yeah. I like to taste Chuck Yeager. I mean, I was lucky enough to meet those guys, and Chuck's still around. But, uh, but, uh, but I, that's the time for another story. I could, yeah. you know, that's something. Did you have you ever met the Tuskegee? Any of the Tuskegee Airmen? There are there are but one left, but I met the guy that trained him, Chief oh. Anderson. Oh, wow. Chief Anderson was an older black man that first one of the first black guys to fly. You might have seen a picture of him. He he was flying Eleanor Roosevelt in a Piper Cub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that I met him, and I actually flew with him one time. Oh, no kidding. This is about 20, 20 years ago. Uh-huh. And uh, but I never met actually. Well, I probably have met him, but the problem is, a lot of times some of the guys that were were with they were they they might not have been a pilot but they worked with them. but yeah. I far as having been able to authenticate that they were the actual pilot mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't now they have a great museum there now it's run by the National Park Service yeah yeah now my dad grew up there and he was during the war he was he was watching he could, he they were dog fighting out there with, in the country where he worked and he that's a lot of many days you watch them dog fight. he actually seen several of them crash yeah. Yeah, they were. You know, that was in the World War II. That was a major. That was a major. People don't realize there were more people killed in practice and training than there were in combat yeah. in World War II. Far as airmen go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, 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 I give a, an annual contribution to the Tuskegee Airmen. I'm those. That everything I've read about it is just so impressive that uh, I can't hardly not. You know, it's just that they're a unique group of people. And uh, I'm really impressed with with the th- kinds of things that they did. So, um, like I say, I, I it's not much, but I you know I contribute a little bit so that so that uh, uh, I f- at least I feel better about it anyway. Okay, well thank you, Ben. Thank you very much. Um, well, thank you for having me. I hope I've been able to add chat to add another perspective to it. Yo, you absolutely, absolutely, Ben. Uh, 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 oh, one last thing. Are you are you are you going to go to uh, uh, Dubois, Dubois, in Wyoming? The, oh yeah. Oh I'm okay. Okay. Well, I'll see you there then. Yeah, that'll be cool. Okay. Thanks. Take care. Super five. Super five. Bye bye.